one of the goals that I had for this season is to kind of create a community space first and then kind of a farmer's market second. Welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Cole Primo. And I'm your other host, Leah Lem. Miigwech for joining us. Native Lights is at its core a place for Native folks to tell their stories. And every week we have wonderful conversations with great guests from a whole bunch of different backgrounds. And we talk with them about their gifts and how they share those gifts with their community. And it all centers around big point of purpose in our lives. Mm -hmm. And here we are again, Cole, amplifying Native voices amplifying voices from the community within the heart of the American Indian Cultural Corridor again at the Four Sisters Farmer's Market. Yeah, it's great. We uh, have a prime location right in the middle of the market. You know, they're, everybody's around us, just looking around. <laughs> just oh, in the middle. <laughs> right in the middle. But no, it's great. Mm -hmm. Yep, and so we're continuing talking to folks this week. It's super exciting. I mean, there's a bunch of tents there's food, yeah. plants, Great people, jewelry, handcrafted goods, bustling, books, band, music soon. Mm -hmm. So pretty cool. And you know this goes this goes on all summer. If you haven't made it, you gotta mm -hmm. check it out. It's great. Uh, you know all these diverse uh, options of things to grab and uh, you know food to mm -hmm. eat. You know I'm 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 getting hungry just looking around. I know. And yeah, if you have a couple spare moments. Uh, midday on Thursdays, the parking lot of Powwow Grounds and mm -hmm. NACD, Na the Native American Community Development Institute. Yeah. Right on Franklin here is the place to be. And the old All My Relations Gallery, mm -hmm. just within walking distance. Oh, yeah. You know, check that out, too. Oh, I know gorgeous. there's a restroom inside, so you need to use the restroom. <laughs> Important to note, yes. <laughs> I definitely note this every time <laughs> I'm at a certain location. Uh, no, great. Yeah, well, we're talking to some awesome folks today. So, you want to get started? Let's go. Pushu, uh, could you just start out by introducing yourself? Hi, my name is Lolly, as in Lollipop. <laughs> and I have a small business called Corn Silk Daughter. And I try to promote nature through jewelry. And I like to tell stories with my jewelry and all the different beautiful natural products that I find just growing along the roadside. I travel a lot between central Wisconsin and Minneapolis. It used to take me four and a half hours to get home from the cities to Wisconsin. And now it takes me all day because all I can do is look out the window and see which flowers are blooming so, of course, I put the brake on and uh, started picking them. My favorite is bee balm, also known as wild bergamot. Yeah, and you were showing me that earlier. And a lot of people don't know that all the mints have square stems. Yeah, sh I, I did not know that. That's very unique. Because in our teaching, we present about um, the roundness of things and mm -hmm. how uh, beautiful the circle is. But I never, ever thought that a stem purposely grows square. 
And it, it's really beautiful when I have someone hold the bee balm in their hand and they're as surprised as I was the first time. So I'm living that experience through everyone's eyes. Yeah, that was me like five minutes ago. So great. So where does this passion come from? I think as we grow older, when we're, when we're young, I couldn't wait till I was 18 and move away from the farm and go to the city and experience the dancing and the clubs and all that goes with it. And then as you ask yourself, what is my purpose in life? And we're always asking that. I think you should always be willing to grow once you achieve a dream. Corn was growing all around me on the farm, and that's how I started uh, with my boot. Is I got to know what was going on with GMO and our indigenous corn, even the Europeans with their wheat. Um, it was used to be healthy at one time. There was no such thing as as having a wheat gut, and now we can't even. Um, have wheat products without worrying about what it does to our bodies. So the injustice that it's being done with our corn, and I could talk about all kinds of seeds, but our corn is the grain of the Americas along with quinoa and rice. And when we can back, get back to those foods, it all has a chemical reaction in our bodies and in our brain and in our our other brain, our other brain is our gut. They, they talk to each other. So in my booth, I like to put flowers like lily of the valley, the button flower, which is also called tansy, corn silk. Corn silk is a woman's medicine. The cedar has so many vitamins, the um, white pine, the bee balm. Not only can bee balm be used as a tea, which everybody knows, but I grind bee balm and you can use it like a like you would peppermint it's really really good um, make mashed potatoes and instead of parsley put um, ground up bee balm flowers on there like bee balm flower it is really super good it'll make your ears wiggle it'll make your your toenails grow <laughs> it's really cool all these medicines lavender smells good but you can grind that up to a powder, too. It's edible. A nasturtium flower. Yeah, they're very beautiful, very colorful, but you can dry those and put them, like, in a little shaker. And when you have a salad, just shake shake it, baby. Shake it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you for that explanation, Lolly. Can you tell us a bit about some of the products that you're selling here? Well, right now, I just have a jewelry that has all kinds of flower petals in there. And that's how I like to teach because back in the day when we lived off nature, we would um, make jewelry out of nature. Look at the porcupine quills. Who would have thought all the intricate, detailed work that goes into birch bark? And um, sometimes I have birch bark earrings. Um, right now I have bee balm uh, earrings. I take the petals off and I dry them. Just put it on a like baking sheet and just air dry it. A lot of herbs you can air dry. Put them in a paper bag and put them in your car and they'll dry within days. 
But corn silk is one that you don't. You just put it on a baking sheet and let dry. You know how you get served in the fancy schmancy places, um, spaghetti, it goes always in a little twirl? Well, that's what you can do when you dry your corn silk, is just put it in a little twirl, and that way one of those little circles makes a glass or two of tea. Excellent. And how long have you been vending at the Four Sisters Farmer's Market? I think this is my second year, or two and a half years, because I found it one year towards the very end. But I really like coming here because there are so many like-minded people, and everyone here has different products that will keep your interest and want to keep you going round and around and talking to the vendors and listening to their story, too. We're all nature lovers, so that so when you, we can open that little vein up in you, you know, your world won't be the same. Yeah. Lali. You're welcome. And where are you from? I'm from central Wisconsin, and my tribe is Otomi, O-T-O-M-I, and we are from Mexico. Can you please take a moment and introduce yourself? Yeah, um, I'm Riviana. Uh, I work with Dream of Wild Health. I'm a descendant of the Bad River Band over in Wisconsin. Um, this is my second growing season with Dream of Wild Health. What do you do at Dream of Wild Health? Um, so I'm the farmer and distributions coordinator, which just means I'm a farmer, but I also come to the farmer's market, deliver the produce to restaurants in the cities. I drive the big van a lot. Hey, that's exciting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the van. That Thank looks you. great. Um, is it electric? <laughs> Um, no, so on? we have it plugged in because it's a refrigerated van so that uh-huh. the produce can stay cool at the market and while we're delivering like CSAs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Our indigenous food share. So you farm then out in Hugo? Is that where the farm is? Yep. Yeah, out in Hugo. Yep. Can you tell us a bit about the farm? Yeah. Um, so we farm on 10 acres of it, but it's 30 total, I believe. It's two chunks across the street from each other. Um, we grow just lots of like vegetables and herbs and flowers. Um, and then we also have youth programs that are out there during the summer too. So you also mentioned the CSA. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit about the CSA program and what does that mean and what's in it? Yeah, totally. Um, so it's called our Indigenous Food Share, or IFS boxes. This season we have 90 boxes um, and it's focused on getting fresh vegetables to um, urban Native families. And this season it's uh, entirely Native families too in the cities. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, can you tell us a bit about how you got into this line of work? Yeah. Um, so I actually come from like a chef and cooking background. Uh, I did that for a few years and got really, really burnt out. It's a really fun but brutal industry. Um, but I love food. So I wanted to stick with food. And I just heard that Dream of Wild Health was hiring. And I was like, I don't know, like, I, you know, a few generations ago, my family was farmers. And I was like, I think that sounds fun. I could try it. I like being outside. Um, and within like a couple of weeks of starting the job, I was like, this is it. Like, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So, Well, why don't we back up for a moment and can you tell us a bit about Dream of Wild Health and the organization and its mission? Yeah. So Dream of Wild Health is a native nonprofit. It's the oldest native nonprofit in Minnesota. It's been around since 1998. So longer than I've been alive. Um, nice. Which is cool. <laughs> um, Not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, our, our mission is to, oh, I have this memorized. It's to um, restore health and wellness to the Native community by recovering access 
to a knowledge of healthy indigenous foods, medicines, and life ways. Hey, nice yeah, work. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <Claps>. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. All right. I'm going to hand this mic over to my brother and co-host, Cole Primo. Thank you. What's your favorite part of what you do? I was actually just talking to my coworker about that uh, earlier today. For me, it's definitely just like the variety and, but like there's a huge variety in my role of what I do on a day to day. And also everything I do is in the community. And that is just like really life giving for me. Like, you know, sometimes I'm here at the market. Some days I'm spending all day in the van driving around to different restaurants to deliver. Some days I'm out in the fields for eight hours, like working with the plants, really like hands in the dirt. Um, sometimes during youth programs, I get to work with the youth. It's like, I, I just get to do it all. Mm. And it like makes me happy. <laughs> That's great. And are you excited? Like, are you guys going to be back for each of these uh, markets throughout the summer? Yeah, we'll be here every week. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. So it's summer, it's busy. What do you do in the winter? Yeah, in the winter, I work from home. Most of us work from home, computer stuff. There's lots of like events that we go to throughout the winter, but basically, I mean, yeah, farming in the winter is just getting ready for the next season. Mm-hmm. It's just months of preparation for mm-hmm. it. Well, that's enough talking about winter because <laughs> <laughs> that was a long one. So I'm looking forward to uh, this summer um, yeah. question. So I know, at least from my experience, just being outside my garden, that mosquitoes, bugs, and everything can be, I don't know, uh, a downside, you know, in a gentle term. Um, How do you deal with mosquitoes, bugs, and so on when you are gardening or when you're farming? Yeah, the biggest, my biggest uh, struggle at the farm is the ticks. There's a lot of them, especially, yeah, especially in certain fields, it's like taller grass than others. so every day I get home and I just do a really intense tick check because I'm so scared of that. Yeah, that's <laughs> And real. so that takes up my brain space and I don't worry about the other bugs, honestly. Well, what else is in store for Dream of Wild Health then this year? Are there any um, plans in progress? Yeah, so I mentioned a little bit earlier that we like have some land that we don't farm on, um, but we have big plans for it. I, I don't know if I can like honestly say too much about it, but like, because I think that the plans are still being built a little bit, but... That's like the biggest thing on the horizon is like just tons of new space and hoping to connect more with like urban native farmers with that land too. Yeah. All right. Well, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much and good luck for the rest of the day and the rest of the summer. Yeah. Thank you. Buju, you're listening to Native Lights where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today's episode was recorded at the Four Sisters Farmer's Market in Minneapolis during the first market of the season in early June. The Four Sisters Farmer's Market happens every Thursday during the summer from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. It's located in the parking lot of the Native American Community Development Institute at the intersection of Franklin and 15th Avenues. Buju, could you start out by introducing yourself and your role here at the market? My name is Destiny Jones. Uh, I'm an enrolled member of the Ho-Chunk Nation of Wisconsin. I'm the food sovereignty coordinator and the farmer's market manager here at uh, NACTI Four Sisters. Yeah. So it's the, the opening day of the market. How's it been so I far? think it's been going really well. It's always nerve-wracking. This is my first day as the market manager as well. So um, just trying to get a lay of the land and also have some fun in this really warm weather. Oh, yeah, definitely. It is very warm, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Could you talk uh, just about the Four Sisters Market in general and the Four Sisters Farmers Market and just, you know, how it started and when you uh, 
came onto the role. Yeah, technically I've been working with NACDI since last September, but I actually started this role uh, in April. Uh, the Four Sisters Farmer's Market has definitely been here for much longer. I believe it's eight years. Um, and the goal was just to kind of create like a community space um, where, from my understanding, in the center of a food desert um, up until there was an Aldi's built just around the corner. Um, and there, it was like a chance to kind of create a space for indigenous uh, vendors as well as like farmers and then also build equity in the neighborhood. Um, for those who maybe don't know, we're located in the East Phillips neighborhood of South Minneapolis. And so there's a huge population density of uh, indigenous Americans here. Can you tell us about what's happening this summer? What can folks visiting the farmer's market look forward to? One of the goals that I had for this season is to kind of create a space community space first and then kind of a farmer's market second, which sounds kind of okay. silly. No, um, but I thought that um, by building like community and power, we might have like a better chance at building that equity that we're looking for for our vendors and um, building uh, nutritional information and kind of creating a safe space for people to explore that as well at the market. We have a ton of events set up, which is so amazing. Um, we plan on having a farmer's market artist in residence who will be here once a month to kind of engage with different aspects of nutrition, food, water, um, different indigenous medicines. Um, and we have a band that we hope to play at least once a month. Um, we all circle through a bunch of different bands, hopefully, and uh, food demos once a month as well as just different activities and different collaborators as well. It's been really amazing being able to work with other indigenous organizations in the city. Uh, I know that one that's been really great to work with so far has been uh, Walk on TP, uh, which is a sacred site in St. Paul. And it's just really great to have this space that we can continue building um, momentum at and you know get to know our neighbors. Yeah, that's wonderful because this is right in the heart of the American Indian cultural corridor here on Franklin. And it's just nice to see it come alive and around entrepreneurship and farming and music and things like that. Um, what do you look forward to most? Um, I look forward to seeing the ways that the market develops in tandem with the urban farm that we have. Um, We've just kicked that off uh, beginning of May. And so it was really amazing. It's really amazing to just meet with people and sort of try to create like these pathways to, you know, a better understanding of the natural world, like more urban biodiversity in the neighborhood, kind of like, yeah, trying to revitalize some of the American Indian cultural corridor. Uh, and also just creating like green spaces for the community and safe spaces for the community to explore you know, getting to know one another, but also just like getting to know their food and plants. Sure. And are there, and just kind of a housekeeping item, is there availability for like SNAP benefits and stuff like that when people come to purchase items here? Yes. Uh, the farm farmer's market takes uh, SNAP benefits. Um, we also have this great program where um, for every $10 you spend, you get $20 in uh, matched uh, farm like money for the farmers market and so um, it's actually like a really great way to s spend your money spread your dollar um, and yep we take cash card credit everything you can imagine <laughs> wonderful and what helps you get up and do this work every day I love it I um, 
have worked in a lot of different parts of the food system. I've been like a waitress and I've worked in a grocery store and um, it's amazing to me how how food plays such an important part of our lives and how simultaneously connected and disconnected we are from it. Um, and kind of trying to engage it in a meaningful way is always something that I've been aspiring to do. Um, and it's just nice to be within like a community that I feel safe in and that hopefully I can try to cre create a space in which they feel safe as well um, so that we can all explore that together. That was along the same lines of what I was going to ask, which is where does that passion and drive come from? I grew up in um, the west side of Chicago, which um, there just wasn't a lot of food access, I'd say. Um, and there wasn't a lot of like safe spaces for people to go to. So I remember like in middle school, like some of the places that I'd frequent just because it, there was nowhere to go was like the library and McDonald's because it was like the cheapest food I could find um, and the longest place I could sit and stay somewhere um, with my friends. And I just like remember that being so intrinsic to like carrying on with, you know, food and liking to cook and like wanting to kind of create more community spaces as being like, oh, wow, like um, how many people, even adults, you know, kind of are stuck in that same situation where there's nowhere to go and there's nowhere to explore and get to know other people. Um, without this like really like large capitalistic expectation, I guess, that comes with it. Um, so I guess that's like one aspect of what drives me to do it. Um, I also just really think food justice and food access is really important. Um, I work with an organization in my free time that uh, distributes mo uh, warm cooked meals to encampments around the city. And so um, kind of just trying to work in tandem in multiple ways, you know, reach multiple levels of people, people who have, you know, some, means to get access to food and people who kind of don't. Um, it's just like a really fascinating way to, you know, work within the food system. Well, we really appreciate all the work that you're doing today and good luck with the rest of the, you know, summer. All that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uju, you're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today's episode was recorded at the Forest Sisters Farmers Market in Minneapolis during the first market of the season in early June. The Forest Sisters Farmers Market happens every Thursday during the summer from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. It's located in the parking lot of the Native American Community Development Institute at the intersection of Franklin and 15th Avenues. Hello, Buju. Can you please introduce yourself? Oh, sure. Tom Peacock, Nindijnaka, Jaganashamung, Nindujaba, Nagajwanang, Nungum, Onigamasing, Minawa, Muskwabikan, Nindamakunindurem. Miigwech. And can you tell me a bit about how you are spending your time here at the Four Sisters Farmers Market? Well, my wife Betsy and I own Black Bears and Blueberries Publishing. We publish native books by native writers, we use native illustrators. We're native-owned. Uh, my wife is from Red Cliff. I'm a Fond du Lac uh, band member, and um, we're both retired faculty from the University of Minnesota Duluth. We taught in the education department for about a million and a half years, and then a few years ago, and when we retired, we said let's start a publishing company because there's a real need out there for native books by native writers and uh, and native artists. Uh, in terms of illustrating. So that's kind of what we do. We've published about 35 books 
so far, and uh, we do six to eight books a year and uh, new books, and um, most of our business is online. Um, but we do markets like this because it's more about exposure. Uh, we don't get a lot of sales at some of them, but um, we do most of our business online. Wonderful. Well, can you tell me about some books that you have here or some books that you're publishing this year? Well, this year um, uh, we have uh, several books in publication. We're doing a book, uh, the manuscript is written, it's called Dandelions, and it's about, uh, it, 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 it sort of spins off, there's a traditional Ojibwe story about how a dandelion in aging and, um, and uh, you know, goes from this beautiful yellow flower to um, the white uh, hair and um, so we sort of spun off that in terms of a children's story and the illustrations are just being done with that one and then um, we have a book uh, that's going to be out in about a week and a half by two uh, uh, Passamaquoddy uh, a writer, a mother daughter writer illustrator team uh, called Little People of the Dawn and that one is about I think about nine days we should get our first print copies of it so those are the two that we're, we're doing. We do, like I say, about six to eight books a year. Wonderful. And what, I know you mentioned the need for this, uh, for these books. What about this work is particularly meaningful to you? Well, I think, you know, um, we're both um, educators. Um, both my wife and I were teachers and, and school administrators. And so we, you know, I spent like myself, like about 23 years working in K-12, either as a teacher or a building principal or whatever, and working in schools that had native schools, you know, native students, um, and just saw there's just a real need for culturally accurate, uh, appropriate uh, reading materials. You know, you can predict whether a kid is going to graduate from school pretty much like 90-some percent um, by their ability to read in second grade. And um, so, um, so that's kind of where, where, we, where we went from. So because we have that background as educators, this is something we know how to do. And uh, so that's kind of what we do. Nice. So you're also an author yourself. Yeah. And could you talk about, like, you know, uh, what themes you uh, tend to... Uh uh, tackle and sure. Well, I started out um, um, doing Ojibwe history, and uh, so my first four or five books were all Ojibwe history um, books. Um, and um, Minnesota Historical Society published most of them. And when I quit teaching at the university, I decided to switch entirely over to fiction. And so now I just write fiction, fiction set in native native country. So my characters are native or they're animals that, you know, interact with Native people. So that's kind of what I do now. One of the first things you notice when you come to your stand is just, like, the beautiful covers. How, how do you guys go about choosing, you know, the illustration? We, um, we solicit illustrators online, and uh, we pay them, like, a flat fee of, like, $2,000 to illustrate our, our children's books. So... Can you tell us where we can find your work? Sure, you can find our work uh, online uh, at our website, blackbearsandblueberries.com, uh, or our Facebook page, uh, Native Publisher. Um, and uh, there we go. <laughs> well, Chimigwech, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat on this nice, warm, 
day here on Franklin Ave at the Four Sisters Farmer's Market. Thank you. All right, Leah, it's been a wonderful day of community here at the Four Sisters Farmer's Market. Hey, right? how about that? Yeah, that was awesome. Ah. I loved hearing from all these great voices. Yeah, and the music was great, mm-hmm. thumping. Conversation, even a little bit of rain. So thank you to all our guests today. And if you haven't gone out here, make sure to. It's a great time, and it runs all summer on Thursdays. I'm Leah Lem. And I'm Cole Primo. Me, Gwage, for listening. Gigawaman. Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.